Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why is everyone going mad about the football? Even if you don't know your Ronaldos from your Messis or your Barces from your Reals, you might have still been caught up in some conversation about football over the last few days. People were mad, like really mad about an announcement that was initially leaked on Sunday and then confirmed at midnight. And then there's been a bit of jubilation over the last 24 hours when there was a bit of a U-turn, but still a little bit of anger going on. Six clubs in England were going to join clubs from other European countries for what is being called the Super League. What's the big deal, you ask? Don't they have loads of competitions all the time, so much so that the managers are always giving out about how many games their players have to play? Well, there seem to be some quibbles about greedy club owners. Well, says the man in the street who hasn't watched nine minutes of soccer, never mind 90 in his life, I could have told you football is about money and greed. So what is this breakaway Super League? Why has it angered people so much? Is it going to happen? And what is the future of football in Europe? We've asked our friends at The 42 for some help to answer those questions. And I'm joined today by Gavin Cooney, who has been writing, tweeting, watching and analyzing everything that's been going on in the last week. But before I turn to you, Gav, I'm just going to play something from last week's Super Sunday on Sky Sports. And um, because Gary Neville here shows just how angry the football people are and were about this. I mean, I'm a Manchester United fan and have been for 40 years of my life, but I'm disgusted, absolutely disgusted. I'm disgusted with Manchester United and Liverpool most. I mean, Liverpool, they pretend you know, you'll never walk alone, the people's club, the fans' club. Manchester United, 100 years, born out of workers around here. And they're breaking away into a league without competition that they can't be relegated from. It's an absolute disgrace. And honestly, we have to wrestle back the power in this country from the clubs at the top of this league, and that includes my club. And I've been calling for 12 months as part of another group for an independent regulator to bring checks and balances in place to stop this happening. It's pure greed. They're imposters. They're imposters. They're nothing to do. The owners of this club, the owners of Liverpool, the owners of Chelsea, the owners of Manchester City, they're nothing to do with football in this country. There are a hundred and odd years of history in this country from fans that have lived and loved these clubs and they need protecting, the fans need protecting. That was Gary Neville there speaking on Super Sunday on Sky Sports at the outset of all of this. Gav, I'm just going to um, ask you to run through a glossary with me so all of our non-footballer fan listeners can keep up with everything that's going on. So if you can just kind of give us a sentence to explain um, so that everything will make sense in the coming minutes. What is the Premier League? Let's meet the football family, uh, Sinead. Uh, Premier League is the domestic league in England. 20 teams compete in it and the top four teams from that uh, are the biggest and qualify for the UEFA Champions League every year. And that'll be the one that people will have been used to over the years. Man City, Man United, Liverpool winning last year. What are its counterparts in Europe? Mm, so each uh, each country in Europe has a domestic football league. La Liga in Spain, uh, Serie A in Italy. They're the probably the most significant uh, for this story because it's clubs from those leagues that are breaking away. But you also have the Bundesliga in Germany, uh, Ligue 1 in, uh, in France. And uh, just in case anyone accuses me of uh, disregarding it, the League of Ireland. Absolutely. And then the Champions League, give us a brief explanation of what that is. Champions League is uh, where the best teams from those domestic competitions come together to compete for what is uh, the most uh, gilded and most sought after prize in European football, which is the Champions League. And who are FIFA? FIFA are the world's governing body of the game. So they run, obviously, the FIFA World Cup and are made up of representatives from all of the football associations in every country across the world. And UEFA. And then UEFA are the... uh, 
governing body of European football. So whereas FIFA are made up of all the associations across the world, UEFA are made up of the associations across Europe and they run the European Championships in which uh, international teams compete. But they also, most significantly for this conversation, run club competitions, including obviously the Champions League. And one more from the English side of things that people probably will have heard of, but just so they're clear on what it is, the FA Cup. The FA Cup is a domestic cup competition in which every team in England competes. Uh, and it's uh, it's one of the most historic competitions in uh, in football. It's been running for over 100 years. Okay, well, let's get into the business of the Super League then. Can you give a more layperson example to explain what's going on? What is the intention with this Super League? To make it very basic, uh, Sinead, the biggest and richest let's not say biggest the richest clubs in Europe have become like the surly boy who owns the football in the playground and having not got his way effectively takes his football home with him to make his point um it it's an amazing power grab by these richest clubs they want to break away from the domestic leagues with which they've been part of for more than a century uh, to run uh, their own uh, Super League uh, based not on merit, that they wouldn't qualify for it based on the results in their domestic leagues, but just purely on the amount of money in their bank accounts. And that would mean that uh, Gary Neville talks about they're not being competition. That would that was the uh, that was the driving force of this Super League. So there'd be no relegation like people would be used to at the end of a season. You know, three teams get re- relegated from the Premier League. They would always just remain in this top Super League portion of the event yeah and they'd run it themselves so at the moment the elite competition uh, in European football is the Champions League Uh, that's run by UEFA which is a confederation of the 55 national associations across Europe so the FAI are part of UEFA and various people are elected to the board and ultimately to the presidency of UEFA and they run those competitions uh, with which the clubs take part Um, the Champions League is the main driver of revenue mainly through broadcast revenue people will pay expensive satellite subscriptions to see those games and those games and the revenue they generate um, drives the football industry right across Europe so I mean the FAI will get uh, now it's not a huge amount of money and it could definitely be more but they got a million euro in solidarity payments what they call solidarity payments last year from UEFA for games played among the biggest clubs in Europe Um, the biggest clubs in Europe say that they effectively want to keep that money for themselves why are we generating wealth to be shared among the FAIs of the world so they want to uh, break away run their own Super League and effectively make it a closed shop um, which means that the owners will be uh, the owners who run these uh, clubs are guaranteed to be in this every year they don't have to worry about the value of their investments dropping through the team's uh, non-performance on the pitch do we know how they picked the teams? Like how I think a lot of people will have heard the list, but in England, so the teams that we'd be well aware of, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham, how did they come up with those six? It's not really based on sporting merit at the moment because Arsenal are ninth in the Premier League, Tottenham uh, are seventh. The idea that they're among the best teams in Europe is laughable, even uh, be given the fact that they haven't won the English Domestic League in 60 years, you know, like so many other clubs have won it uh, in that interim uh, in those 60 years. But it's based on money. They're the biggest clubs. They've got the biggest stadium with the biggest worldwide fan base, with the biggest social media audience um, and with some of the most famous players. So that's effectively what it's based on. It's, uh, this is uh, this is not, the Super League was not based on sporting merit. It was based on the amount, uh, the ability to print money. So the the founders, as they call themselves of this, what was their vision? Would they continue to play in their domestic leagues and the Champions League? Or was this instead of either or of them or both? 
they wanted to continue playing in their domestic leagues along with uh, this European Super League, but it would make a mockery of the domestic competitions because there is already a massive gap between the big clubs who are breaking away and the rest of the uh, clubs in their domestic leagues just because they have so much more money. This would widen that gap again and add on more and more games in midweek uh, in the European Super League. So, you know, they would they be fielding full-strength teams in the domestic league at weekends? Would they be taking it seriously? Seriously, would there be any kind of proper competition domestically? Would it just be another carve up between the European teams? And also, because of the bloated calendar and the more games that they would have, they would play, they would pull out of the domestic cup competitions like the FA Cup, which is this storied history going back almost 150 years at this point. So in practice, uh, sorry, in theory, they were going to continue on playing in their domestic leagues. But in practice, uh, it would be a slow, uh, be a slow uh, withdrawal from them. And then if they were playing in the Super League, what would the structure be? You said there'd be midweek games, but would it be recognisable as something akin to the Premier League or something more like the Champions League? How do they intend to play it out? So they want 15 permanent members or the founders. We know 12 of them. Uh, they'd kept three spots open. We we assume that they were for Paris Saint-Germain, uh, the biggest team in France, and the two biggest teams in Germany, uh, Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich, uh, they hadn't signed up to this deal when it was announced. And then they were going to keep five other spots open for teams to qualify from outside of the competition. Now, they never expanded on where those teams come from or how they qualify. But, you know, this would this would have been a defense against the idea that this was a closed shop Super League. But in reality, of course, or in practice, it is a closed shop. Uh, so with 20 teams, they were uh, going to divvy it up into two groups of 10. Each team in that group of 10 would play home and away, uh, the other teams in that group. So that's 18 group games. And then they would go ahead into the quarterfinal, semifinal and final knockout stages like the Champions League at the moment. So it's similar-ish to the Champions League, how it's set up at the moment. Uh, and, but there would be far more group games games um, and then obviously go into the knockout stages. A lot of group games that probably wouldn't end up mattering if there was no relegation, correct? Correct, correct and right. It, it just strips the jeopardy away from football and this is one of the main criticisms of the Super League. You heard it with Gary Neville here. They want uh, something without competition. Without relegation obviously is the main uh, removal of risk there but also you know, if there's only going to be X amount of teams going through to the quarterfinals, it takes, there's just so many dead rubbers in this game that are in this competition that are just played out for, for the sake of making money. At the time of recording though, and it is a really quickly developing story, probably one of the fastest moving stories that we've had in a while. How is it falling apart and is it likely to continue to fall apart? Uh, it's dead now, unfortunately. Like, I mean, uh, I've had... Stop recording, it's uh, fine. <laughs> we've had, like, I've had DVD box sets that have lasted longer than uh, the European Super League. Ultimately, um, it was launched to a blaze of pub, uh, public fury on Sunday night. And if anything, that public fury has only intensified since. Uh, UEFA have obviously come out very strongly against it. Uh, FIFA, the world's governing body, stood with UEFA on it. Um, national governments have spoken out about against it, like Boris Johnson is one of the one of the chief uh, chief critics of this idea. And also, obviously, supporters have spoken out against it. And even within clubs, like their own employees, the uh, players and coaches are against it too. So uh, they got absolutely no one, no one on side for it. And UEFA, there was this great theatre on Monday afternoon when the uh, UEFA president, Alexander Cheferin, uh, denounced the people behind this. They, he called them snakes and liars, which is amazing rhetoric. Uh, but then on Tuesday, held out an olive branch and then set about his act of divide and conquer. He spoke 
directly to the six English clubs and said, we realise, look, people make mistakes. This is a mistake, but it's not too late to undo it. We'll forgive you. Come back. And then they chip, chip, chipped away at the six English clubs. Chelsea were the first to wobble yesterday. And then Manchester City announced that they withdrew. And then the carnage really began. Uh, Ed Woodward, who is the executive vice chairman at Manchester United, he's effectively the executive face of United. And he was one of the people really driving these plans. He tenders he tendered his resignation at about eight o'clock last night, and then within a few minutes uh, of each other at around ten o'clock, the remaining English clubs issued statements to say we're out. The Super League then issued a statement around midnight to say that they're uh, withdrawing and they're going to put it on pause to reshape the project, acknowledging that the English clubs are out. And then uh, just before we recorded this, yeah, Andrea Agnelli, who's the chairman of Juventus in Italy and the vice chairman of the Super League, said this can't go on with so few clubs in it and just before we recorded Atletico Madrid of Spain officially pulled out Inter Milan of Italy officially pulled out so there's uh, there's very few left standing and let's hope uh, let's hope whoever is last out doesn't forget to turn the light off on their way out and I can really hear the glee in your voice Gav but one of the things and I think if you look at non-football Twitter which you probably don't have a huge amount of access to but <laughs> there's a lot of people saying what what question mark why what I definitely want to know more about this they can be forgiven for not knowing how this went ahead because if you hear from any manager, so like the front-facing people in football, any player, the people that they'd have familiarity with, nobody seemed to want this. You just listed out all the people who wanted it. So who is the they that did want it? The handful of millionaires and billionaires that own these football clubs. Uh, So we imagine that football clubs, and in practice in many ways they are, they're just pillars of the community, like something that's important locally that people come around and support. And they're not, you know, in theory, they shouldn't be run to make a profit. They should be, you know, kept solvent and they should be run to win trophies and play in big games and make the people watching them proud of where they come from. But... um, Football has embraced, much like the wider world, has embraced uh, deregulation and and hypercapitalism in the last 30 years uh, to the point where now uh, football clubs in in England and across Europe, uh, not not in all countries, it has to be said, but in many countries and and, and pretty much all the countries interested in this, they can be bought by rich people who have no link to the locality at all. So Chelsea were bought nearly 20 years ago by the Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich. Uh, American investors bought Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal, the Abu Dhabi royal family, but Manchester City. So these are the people who, uh, and they buy the clubs and they, they're answerable, I suppose, to the competition, the rules of the competitions in which they're in place. But as you can see, they uh, this whole exercise is one in showing that they believe that they're above those rules. So in terms of the running of the clubs, they can do what they please. And they're the people chasing this for, for it has to be said, for different reasons. I mean, there's uh, greed is definitely a part of it because... Um, uh, the point of the Super League is to eliminate risk. So if you're Liverpool, uh, you're Liverpool's owner, John Henry, he's the he's from America, he's the principal owner of Liverpool at the head of Fenway Sports Group, a group of American investors. Uh, you pump money into Liverpool to make them competitive in the at the top of the Premier League and at the top of the Champions League because the higher you are in the table and the bigger games you play in, the more money you make. But you have to keep on pumping money into the team because it's a very unpredictable game. And then 
Virgil van Dijk can get injured in a bad challenge, miss an entire year, and your whole team can just crumble around you. And all of a sudden... And he was as important to Liverpool as everyone said. <laughs> he, he, he really was. I mean, like, this is this effectively is an exercise in, ch- in mitigating against Virgil van Dijk's injury. Uh, so I can imagine the size of his ego this morning. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they want to eliminate that risk. Um, so they, like the American owners, would see an enclosed Super League as something akin to what we see with the NFL or in the NBA where franchises are guaranteed uh, inclusion in this and there's no promotion or relegation so you're always you're just you're guaranteed a return on your investment um, without having to worry about kind of the chaos of what might happen on a football pitch so that was that was probably the main motivating factors for the owners of the likes of Liverpool and Man United and Arsenal the Barcelona and Real Madrid and Juventus have I think have slightly different motivations because if the uh, if the prior group are motivated by greed I think uh, the Spanish clubs and Juventus are primarily motivated by desperation because they've run themselves into the ground you know like there's been untrammeled spending in European football because you know the Qatar bought Paris Saint-Germain and then set new records of spending on transfers for the likes of Neymar and Kylian Mbappe and then all these clubs have to have to spend their way to catch up Give us the figures there just so people know what kind of money we're talking about for those players uh, So Neymar costs 222 million euro he's the most expensive uh, player in the history of the game and that's just his transfer fee his wages are you know his wages are another I don't know the figures but you know 30-40 million euros a year at a minimum. Uh, so all the other clubs have had to kind of have Rob Peter to pay Paul to try and keep up with this pace set by uh, PSG who are owned by the Qatari state. So their their pockets are bottomless. So Barcelona have spent, uh, who lost Neymar, tried to spend their way out of the problem. And they have debts now of 1.3 billion euro. Like it's crazy. Some of that is quite, sh- like a large portion of that is short-term debt that's going to be called in within the next year or so. Real Madrid are in similar uh, debt issues and Juventus are in similar debt issues as well. So they, they saw this as a chance to make a break for it under the cover of the pandemic because these people are, the pa- they're using the losses of the pandemic as a Trojan horse to say, look, we're, we're forced into this because uh, the pandemic has meant we've been playing in front of empty stadia for a year. We've lost massive revenues. But... Like the clubs were losing massive revenues before the pandemic. They uh, of the original twelve uh, take out Liverpool because they hadn't published their accounts for this football season stretching from twenty uh, from September twenty nineteen to to June twenty twenty. The other eleven clubs lost one point three billion euro collectively, and that's across a year with only three months interrupted by COVID. So it was those kind of forces of greed and forces of sheer financial desperation came together to make a break for this Super League. But they've made an unholy mess of it. How much money is there to be made here if you compare to the the current Champions League structure? The clubs involved reckon that they could make at least three or four times, three to four times more than they would be making in the Champions League. Because one of the main reasons uh, for the desperation we've seen some of these clubs chase this idea was JP Morgan were going to float a loan of 3.5 billion euro to get it off the ground. So clubs would get a cash injection of around 300 million euro each just for joining up. So that would keep the wolf from the door for a while. And they believed that if they uh, if they could take, um, take control of the product, for want of a better phrase, and sell it to, you know, what streaming service would come online for it? Would it be Amazon? Would it be Disney? Would it be Netflix? Would it be Facebook or Google? That they reckon that they could uh, more than quadruple their income from the existing Champions League. Um, 
But again, like there was such a such a lack of detail around this. They threw these figures out, but there was nothing to to back it up. Like all reporting suggests that they didn't have a television or a broadcast deal in place by the time of going for this, which is crazy, you know. So at the moment, it's real just kind of back of a cigarette packet economics. Yeah, particularly because Sky coming in and putting uh, for the Premier League behind a paywall would have been the big game changer in English football. But the existence of Sky was really important for that breakaway to happen. So not having the broadcaster seems like a really silly error. The founders say, I'm saying founders with a great deal of irony, just for any listeners who are missing out on that. The founders say this was something that football needed because it's boring now and young people don't follow it. How true is that? And also, how did they reconcile that statement with the statement that they could make three or four times more money if they were able to sell this to a streaming outlet? Well, it's just like Florentino Perez uh, is the chairman or the president at Real Madrid. And he what he was to be the first chairman of the Super League. And he seems to be the main figure driving all of this. He gave one of the most aggravating interviews I've ever seen uh, to justify this uh, a couple of nights ago on Monday night at midnight. Like these people seem to only communicate in the middle of the night. Uh, talked about the need to save football, that this would save football. But from whom, like Florentino? And then he, he threw out this notion that, well, look, kids aren't watching football anymore, that they're more interested in uh, in playing video games, etc., and that their attention spans are broken. And look, we we hear that pedal in every industry and in all kinds of walks of life. And maybe there's some truth to it. Like, I mean, 90-minute football matches are quite long. It's quite difficult. I mean, I work in football. It's quite difficult not to be flicking on your phone <laughs> during, uh, during a couple of the downtimes. So, like... There might actually be a small bit of merit in that, but it was just such a disingenuous argument, uh, like a kind of a Trojan horse for what he really wanted to uh, to sell here. Because like, take a step back from what he was saying. On one hand, he's saying football is dying. No one wants to watch this sport anymore. And ours is the only solution. But then the justification for launching this, and it's included in its in the press release that launched this at midnight on Monday morning, uh, we're going to have an this football has an audience of four billion people. Which is somewhat nearly two thirds of the world's population of a sport, apparently, that no one wants to watch anymore. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I find I do find that quite interesting what they have to say about uh, the fact that young people aren't really engaged in this. But I don't think that the the solution to that is to uh, is to just uh, put the best players playing against each other uh, every week on a streaming service and divorce it from its local community. There are other issues at play as well. Like, I mean, they've priced young people out of going to matches. Like, I mean, football is a great television product, but it's better in the stadium. I think most people will agree with that. But, you know, these uh, these super clubs that want to break away from this Super League have just priced young people out of going to games. So, I mean, knock the ticket prices down a bit, lads, and, you know, you might get a little bit more youth interest in your product. So, I think there's the germ of a point there uh, from Florentino Perez and Andrea Agnelli, the uh, Juventus chairman, also has peddled this idea in the past. But, um, it's the germ of a point with which they wielded for uh, for the wrong reasons. On the other point that, you know, this is a better structure than the Champions League, UEFA were due to announce a revamp. Can you give us some background of that? And it also, is that them kind of owning up to, yes, we do actually need to change this? Yeah, so this is the funny thing about the timing of the Super League. So for the last 20 years, even longer, the more money that has come into the game has gone to the clubs. So increasingly, the balance of power has shifted from UEFA, who are meant to be 
governing uh, and overseeing the clubs to the clubs themselves. So uh, uh, the Champions League, you know, was once the European Cup. It was just the champions of each domestic uh, competition played each other in a knockout format. That changed as more and more clubs realised, hang on, we should be in on this. There's more money to be made. So it's been a constant negotiation between UEFA and the clubs. And this new Champions League format, like it's ap- like it's terrible. Like I mean, th- we shouldn't forget that this is a like this is an awful format that they've agreed upon. But it was done as a compromise on UEFA's part uh, to prevent the clubs from breaking away. So the clubs, the biggest clubs, um, go back to the reasons why, say, the American owners of Liverpool wanted to break into the Super League. They want more games and they with less jeopardy, so they get more money with less risk. So uh, the compromise that they've come to in the Champions League at the moment that has been agreed from the 2024 season onwards is to expand it from 32 teams to 36 teams. The Champions League qualification at the moment is based entirely on merit. So if you're an English football team, you have to finish in the top four positions in the Premier League to get into the Champions League. And if you finish fifth or sixth or seventh, like the Virgil van Dijkles Liverpool are likely to do this season, you're out and you're making a lot less money next year. The new Champions League format has reserved a couple of spots uh, for the historically biggest clubs. So like Liverpool would get into it. You know, like this is actually what they wanted. They've expanded the group stages um, to, I think, another, uh, there's, well, there's another 100 matches cumulatively with almost no jeopardy in them. You know, it's they're just being played. So there's uh, fatter TV contracts to send around and games you're guaranteed to play in. So no one really wants this apart from the biggest clubs. But the ironic thing is, like, this was all agreed. Like the biggest clubs that broke away from the Super League sat in a room with UEFA on Friday and agreed with it uh, through their uh, representative body, which is the European Clubs Association. And then all of a sudden, everything changed on Saturday. Like an executive was quoted in The Guardian saying everything suddenly went nuclear and they decided actually, you know, and maybe it was motivated by the desperation we talked about earlier, Sinead, but actually they just broke from it. They broke from their agreement, chased their own uh, competition, the Super League. They've been beaten but they still have the consolation of the bloated Champions League format tilted in their favour, which they've negotiated. And we have another 100 matches to watch, which I think even for the football fan probably isn't as enticing as it as it sounds. UEFA had made threats and the domestic leads had made threats before this all fell apart. Could they have actually punished these clubs for, for trying to break away if they had indeed managed it? Don't know. That was like, it was... I fi- I thought when we saw this on Monday that we were uh, the battle lines were drawn for a long, long legal battle because the main instrument that FIFA and UEFA used was that they would make this a pariah league that they would operate almost like in a, uh, in its own corner of the football world and it, uh, the players playing in it would not be allowed to play in UEFA and FIFA competitions which meant they would not be able to play for their countries and in international tournaments that was the main weapon against it and the clubs breaking away argued you can't do that you, that's like a legal restraint of trade you can't do that um, so that was to be the main uh, that was to be the main potential punishment really um, and FIFA supported UEFA on it and I think I mean, that definitely spooked the players, judging by all reporting today. So I think, and that led internal pressure that probably forced the owners to back down from the Super League. Um, other than that, like the, I know the Premier League talked about kicking them out uh, from the domestic league, but, you know, think about it. Are they really going to do it? Because, you know, everyone has made a kind of a Faustian pact with each other to make money out of this thing. The bottom, the 14 clubs who will be left behind are reliant 
on playing Liverpool and Man United and Manchester City and Arsenal and the likes for their money. Like people will pay a, a satellite subscription to watch Liverpool play Burnley. They won't pay a satellite subscription to watch Leicester play Burnley, for instance. So I don't know how serious those threats were really it was it became a kind of calling their bluff um but ultimately fifa and uefa have successfully called their bluff and i do wonder um how significant political intervention on this was and like the like i mean the man raising the cudgels highest was unbelievably uh, boris johnson like i mean this was like politically this story this week was a total gift to johnson because you know, you had all the like there were all those negative headlines around the Greensill uh, story and the lobbying scandal at Whitehall. And there were, you know, there were various leaks appearing in the Daily Mail from Cameron's side and from Johnson's side. And he also uh, he also needs to maintain his constituency uh, with the, you know, the traditional Labour voters in the north that with which he reached through the Brexit vote, like protecting their football clubs. That's a vote winner for him. So he really went after this, you know, like Johnson uh met the Premier League and the Football Association of England yesterday about this. He also met representatives from the club, uh, representatives of supporters from the clubs. Like he even met with Liverpool fans. Like Johnson is not a popular figure on Merseyside. He was booed and egged when he visited there a few years ago. Uh, but suddenly like this, uh, this, uh, this idea of a Super League was so bad and it, it made all kinds of very weird uh, affiliations and, um, coalitions and uh, so uh, he threatened uh, he the his, the quote being uh, reported from those meetings was he would drop a legislative bomb on these people to uh, prevent them breaking away whether you know he would just pass a law to say you can't do this or whether he would uh, introduce competition laws and uh, you know i mean the the european union might have present, prevented that but obviously uh, Boris Johnson and Britain don't have to worry about that at the moment. So you could definitely wor- wonder about how much posturing that uh, how much posturing that was by Johnson and how much he intended to do it. But ultimately, it's uh, it sent the clubs uh, running scared. Yeah, as well as political pressure, there was also people pressure because the fans really didn't like this. It really kind of spoke to spoke to to them, and like they were even out on the streets protesting it. Yeah, there was incredible theatre yesterday, really. Uh, Chelsea were playing Brighton in the Premier League last night, obviously in an empty stadium because of of COVID restrictions. But about a thousand Chelsea fans gathered outside to protest against the Super League. So they chanted against the Super League, against the other club's owners and against their own owner, Roman Abramovich. And you had this amazing image of the Chelsea bus couldn't get through the crowd to go to the game and Petr Cech who is a a Chelsea legend the former goalkeeper and is now a technical director at the club got off the bus and pleaded with fans just to let the let the bus through and ultimately the game was delayed by 15 minutes and then uh, so that was that just showed to uh, the extent to which uh, fans were motivated and angered and aggravated by this over traditional football issues and there were protests everywhere you know there were banners hung um, outside stadia I know the Liverpool supporters uh, said that they would be uh, stripping the stands of their banners that have been put in uh, in, in place of the empty seats uh, recently. Uh, There's all kinds of protests and it was only going to be ratcheted up. I know Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville were on, uh, uh, were comrades in arms on, on Sky Sports saying they're going to organise marches around the Liverpool United game coming up in a couple of weeks. And obviously the political pressure only comes because of the people pressure like that's They're responding to the, uh, to, the peop- to the sentiment among fans. So it really is. I mean, 
you're wondering why there is such been such a level of cut through uh, for this story into kind of the regular news agenda. It's ultimately become a parable of kind of the people against the rich elite, you know, <laughs> and the fact that the rich can be greedy and quite stupid and ultimately the people have the power to uh, uh, to dispossess them of their of their daft ideas. Yeah, a really bad idea with with no thinking through can can be defeated. One of the other things I wanted to ask you before we wrap up was about how we have seen a, a fairly significant rise in the attention paid to women's football over the pandemic, during the duration of the pandemic. Did the women's game, because a lot of these clubs have, albeit quite young uh, female setups, did it come into the equation at all for the Super League? It came into the equation in terms of a single line thrown in at the end of the press release uh, announced on midnight last Sunday, announcing this Super League. Like, I think this was the most cynical line. Like, uh, UEFA described this as a cynical exercise, and this single line devoted to women's football was the most cynical part of it all. They just chucked it in. They said, oh yeah, and we'll have a women's competition uh, in a few years' time uh, to grow the women's (laughs) game. Which is, you know, obviously no detail on it. And like, the owners behind this, many of them are not even remotely committed to their to their clubs you know like I mean Manchester United only launched a women's team in the last few years Liverpool have just not just they just haven't paid attention their women's team it's it's actually kind of a disgrace what how they've treated them uh they've been relegated to the second division in England they're not even in the te- top level yeah, yeah. relegated second division in England like the owners built a brand sparkling new training ground from the men for which the women are not allowed to use like it's crazy the uh, the extent to which uh these uh these owners have uh, many of these owners have ignored their women's uh, women's team and then just chucked this in as a kind of a, an exercise in PR and you know the idea that I mean it was laughable enough that you know the Tottenham Hotspur men's team should be included in the Super League but like we're beyond the looking glass when the likes of Liverpool's second division uh, women's team should be included in the Super League and the likes of Leon who have won I think is it five Champions Leagues in a row aren't in it at all like I mean that was uh, that really was I think uh, that really that did that did, I think that did bring even more anger upon the whole exercise because it was just I've used the word a lot now but it is it was just so cynical yeah, I think people were fearful because if those threats about throwing clubs out of domestic leagues had been meant and were followed through with, the female league could have fallen apart quite quickly in England because a lot of those bigger clubs do have teams in, in those leagues. Gav, will they just try and set this up again? Mm, I don't know. I mean, they can't. Well, they can't do it. They can't do this again in terms of uh, of how they've of how they attempt to achieve it this way. But you could argue, have they? Have they achieved much of what they want by stealth? Because what interests me now is like, first of all, like the Champions League format that everyone, you know, hated a month ago that I talked about there has passed. Like that's, you know, that takes many of the principles of the Super League and uh, and put like that's now part of, you know, football regulation. There's also a very curious uh, thing that's been emerging from UEFA yesterday in that uh, the president has apparently lined up, uh, according to numerous reports, lined up a private equity firm to inject a bit of cash into the Champions League from now on, you know, to help these big clubs mitigate against the losses of the pandemic. Like, you know, JP Morgan were the private equity, effectively the private equity firm uh, floating money into the Super League. But like, hang on a minute. Are we now, we're getting an expanded tournament with more games for the biggest clubs with equity into it. So uh, to prop up the losses of the of the clubs who wanted to break away. Are we not kind of getting by slow creep what the guys broke away, much of what the guys broke away from uh, for uh, at the weekend. So 
there is that, you know, I don't like, I, I think what this is showing is that the idea that the clubs can just break away from their domestic leagues and from UEFA and FIFA to run their own competition that doesn't work like that won't work like I mean that's been outed now as a terrible idea um, but you know that slow creep of get, getting more and more money into their own pockets through the structures that we have that actually advanced while we were all distracted by this so I do wonder as to where this goes because you know the Super League was a terrible idea that doesn't mean there are many more terrible ideas to which we've just reverted now again in football like the distribution of money is a major issue. You know, Bayern Munich were held up as paragons uh, of the people for not wanting to join this uh, this uh, Super League. And like everyone should follow the German football model of uh, of allowing fans onto boards because it's, it's a paragon of equality. It is to a point, like Bayern Munich are about to win their ninth domestic league title in a row like that's that's another pure monopoly that's not good for football but um yeah the super league is dead is is uh the super league as was envisaged last sunday night is definitely dead but i think a version of it will exist albeit maybe uh in different clothing gav thanks so much for coming in and explaining all of that to us uh, especially for those who actually were looking around the last few days being completely uh, flabbergasted by everything going on in the world of football and enjoy the next few days of uh, following the the total collapse through to its end (laughs) thanks a million Sinead thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Gavin for joining us today this episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan if you want to support The Explainer there's a few things you can do head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people discover, listen and love it too. Thank you and catch you next time.